If you have your Bible, we're going to be walking through, continuing our walkthrough of the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. And we're going to jump a couple of spots in Scripture today, but we're going to base there in Galatians chapter 5. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. So far, we've looked at love, joy, and peace. And tonight, we're going to be looking at everybody's favorite topic of patience. Before we jump into patience, I do want to reiterate some foundational truths that we've been talking about this semester. If you've been here every week, you've heard this every week. And if you come every week, you will hear this every week. Because I believe this is important for us to continually remind ourselves. And it's this, is that the the fruit of the Spirit does not represent a checklist in our lives in order for us to learn how to be good Christians. This is not the list of things that we need to make sure that we accomplish if we're going to be doing what God calls us to do. In fact, this is not even our to-do list in order to be like Jesus. If you were able to accomplish all these things, you would look like Jesus because Jesus is the perfect picture of everything seen here in the fruit of the Spirit. But the truth is that in our own strength, we do not have the ability to produce this fruit. In our own strength, the Bible teaches us that the absolute best thing that we can do is produce the fruit of our flesh. We can produce the fruit of what we have in this life. And the Bible says, Jesus said in John 15, that everything we do on our own is just going to be burned up at the end of the day. It doesn't account to anything. Even the good things that we do will not account to anything. And so if you want the fruit of the Spirit in your life, the only way you can experience that is through the Lord. The Lord is the only one that is able to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Jesus, when speaking to religious leaders of his day, he wanted to make this very clear. And so he gave them a, a parable or a, an illustration that they could understand. In that first century uh, time, everybody was very familiar with agriculture and a lot of farmers and planting, and Jesus uses an analogy that they can understand. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is to be known by its fruit. So if we understand that we cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit on our own, how can the fruit of the Spirit be produced in each one of our lives? The fruit of the Spirit is simply the fruit of walking with the Spirit. That's literally what it means. That's literally what it is. When we walk with the Spirit, we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit produced in our lives. And as an added benefit, the Bible says in Galatians 5.16 that when we walk by the Spirit, not only do we produce the fruit of the Spirit, but we also see that the desires of our flesh, our sinful nature, is that's the only way that we're able to combat that. Paul wrote that, I say, then walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Because our flesh and the Spirit are opposed, opposed to one another. You cannot feed both of them at the same time. If you are feeding into the Spirit, if you are sowing to the Spirit, you will not be sowing to the flesh. In the same way, if you sow to your flesh, if you are investing in your flesh, you will not be investing in the Spirit. You can't have it both ways. The flesh and the Spirit are opposed to one another. And so when we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desire of the flesh, but we will see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So let's get down just real practical. How do you walk by the Spirit? A lot of times that seems so unattainable to us. We don't know exactly what that means. We're looking for the checklist. We're looking for the formula. 
I believe Jesus gives us a very practical picture in John 15, 4 and 5. He says this, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. So as we look at how do we produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, the answer is to abide in Jesus. We try to make it so complicated, we always think there must be a secret formula, just maybe one other thing that we don't know. But the reality is, is that Jesus says to abide in him and him in us and we bear fruit. What does that mean? Spend time with Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says and then obey him. It's not complicated. But if we do that, if you spend time with Jesus... I can guarantee you that you will see the fruit of the Spirit produced in your life. The more time that you spend with Jesus, the more your life will look like his. Paul wrote in Galatians 6, 7, and 8 that we are, he says, Don't be deceived. Don't trick yourselves. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to the flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit he will reap eternal life from the Spirit. What he's saying there is that you might be sowing to the flesh and you don't see the consequence. Nothing bad seems to be happening as a result and you might feel like you're getting away with it. But God is not mocked. God is not tricked. God sees absolutely everything that's going to happen. And when you sow, just continue using the idea of fruit of the Spirit and sowing to the, sowing to the flesh and sowing to the Spirit, you don't see the result of sowing right away. A lot to, you, when, you, when you plant something, you've you got to put it in the ground, and you've got to work it, and you've got to take care of it. And then after a whole lot of work, stuff starts to, to grow. What we see here is that Jesus is saying and Paul is saying that when you sow to the Spirit, you will reap the fruit of the Spirit. So we said the fruit of the Spirit is not a checklist, but I do want to say it can act as a mirror. We've said that each week. And what I mean by that is that when we hold the fruit of the Spirit up, we're able to look at ourselves in light of these fruit and not try to ask ourselves, can I do better? Can I reach up? But does my life look like this? And if the answer is no, and the answer will always be no in one area, you're never going to perfectly in this life match up with the fruit of the Spirit. And every time we look at the fruit of the Spirit and we see something that's missing in our lives, the answer is simply to go spend more time with Jesus. You see, if we look at patience tonight and we say, you know, I just, I'm not a very patient person. The answer is not to go out and try to test yourself and try to run trials on yourself to try to get more patient. The key is to go spend time with Jesus, and he will develop the patience in your life because he is our example. So tonight we're going to hold up, as we look in the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to hold up the mirror of patience in our lives. Now, it's easy for each one of us to roll our eyes at this and go, you know, I'm just not a very patient person. It's just not who I am. I've never been patient. I'm not going to be patient. I don't like being patient. But in reality, as followers of Jesus, that is not an option for us. We do not have the ability to disregard this and say, you know, that's just not who I'm going to be. Because Jesus was a patient person when he was on earth in the ministry. God is patient with us today, and we are to reflect who he is in our lives. And so as we sow to our flesh, we will see impatience. But as we sow to the Spirit, we will see patience developed in our lives.
As we talk tonight about patience, I'm not talking about having to wait at the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A because they might be taking a little longer today than normal. That's ultimately uh, an outpouring of how patience plays out in our lives. But when you look at the word here, uh, when, when we look tonight, it said patience in the passage and the translation I'm, translation I'm using. But a lot of translations, King James, New King James, a lot, especially the older translations, translates patience a different way. Does anybody know what that word is? Forbearance. There's a, a, another word. Long-suffering. I think I heard somebody say that. Long-suffering. And so here's what the word patience means in this example. It doesn't just mean waiting for, for Chick-fil-A or waiting for your Starbucks drinks. It means are you willing to suffer for a long time for what the Lord has for you? Are you willing to sit through what the Lord has for you and to endure it for the end result? Are you willing to wait? I heard somebody say one time that patience is not just waiting for something, it's how you act while you wait. And there's a difference between just waiting and and getting to the end and saying, all right, I waited, I was patient. Well, if you didn't act very good along the way, then you were not patient. And what we see tonight is that as we are called to patience, as we are called to long suffer, what is our attitude going to look like in this life? We talked a little bit about this, but what's the opposite of patience? It's impatience. It's not waiting for something. And what is the root of impatience? What What causes impatience in our lives? I believe it's a sense of entitlement. I don't believe that I should have to wait. I believe that this thing that I want, I want it right now. Now, I experience this on a daily basis in my own life, but in a practical way that that I see every single day is with my children. So my two older boys love video games. And what they love more than video games is new video games. And so new ones that I have to pay for specifically is what they want, not the free ones. And so what we see is they'll, they'll get a video game and two or three days later, the newness wears off on it. And what do they say? Can I get another one? Can I, can, oh, here, look at this game. This is the game that's going to make me happy. I need this game. And every time it's just a cycle. Just uh, about 45 minutes ago, I uh, saw my kids before they went to their class. And my oldest son had his Kindle and, and had a new game up on it. And he was asking me, can I get this? Can I get this? Can I get this? And I was like, no, no, we'll, we'll wait. We'll, we just need to keep waiting. We don't need to get a new game every day. And he kept asking, and I sang him an old song from, from Mr. Rogers. Sometimes it's very, very, very hard to wait, especially when you're waiting for something. And he interrupted me, Dad, you know I don't like that song. <laughs> so none of us do. But we all have to experience that in our lives. But as a follower of Jesus, impatience is not an option for us if we're going to live in obedience to what God has called us. And in fact, impatience, the Bible says, is part of our flesh, and we must crucify our flesh daily, offer our flesh up as a living sacrifice to the Lord every single day. And if you are a true follower of Jesus, the Bible says you will act like him. And according to this, you will be patient as you spend more time with him. So as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, every aspect that's listed, love, joy, peace, patience, so on, every one of them we see perfectly represented in Jesus Christ. When you look at his ministry on earth, there's nothing in the fruit of the Spirit that is contradicted by anything Jesus said or did during his ministry. If you look at all throughout Scripture and all throughout history, you look at what God has done and how he has acted, he has always acted in accordance to the fruit of the Spirit. He is a perfect representation of the fruit of the Spirit. And so as we look There's so many examples of Jesus' patience, and we're going to look at just a few of those in a minute. But Jesus will serve tonight as our example of what it means to be patient. 
Jesus is who we will look to. The author of Hebrews wrote this in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. What does that mean? That means all these things in our life, they're just pulling us down. All these things are just weighing us down on this earth. All those sins that as we're on this race of the life, they're just nipping at our heels all the time and pulling us in, trying to get us. We need to lay that all aside. And what do we need to do? We need to run with endurance the race that lies before us. That word endurance is the same word that's translated patience. It's long-suffering. We need to run with endurance the race that is laid before us. Now listen here. How do we do that? Keeping our eyes on Jesus. As we run this race, we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus because when we look anywhere else, we are going to trip, we are going to stumble. When we look anywhere other than Jesus, those hindrances and those sins that pull us back, they're going to win. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author of Hebrews calls him here the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Some other translations would say the author and the finisher of our faith. All that means is that Jesus is the one that started us on this faith journey. And Jesus is the one that's going to get us to the end. So as we run with endurance, as we patiently run towards the Lord and do what he has called us to do in this life, it is by keeping our eyes on Jesus that we are able to keep on the race that he has called us. For the joy, now listen to the example that Jesus set for us when it comes to endurance and patience, long-suffering in this life. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that lay before him. What was the joy that lay before Jesus? It was ultimately us. It was the the prize that he had come to win. See, we had experienced separation from God because of our sin, ultimately leading back to Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. And ever since that moment, God has been on a journey. We have been on a journey to bring reconciliation between God and man. And that ultimately found its fulfillment when Jesus died on the cross and offered us eternal life. So as Jesus comes to earth and he is keeping his eye on the prize, he is keeping his eye on the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross. He had patience. He suffered through the cross. He despised the shame. He didn't even count it anything worthy of looking at in honor in comparison to the prize that he had before him. And when he was done, he was able to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God, having accomplished what God had called him to accomplish. So with our time left this, this evening, I want us to do two very simple things. If you notice on your sheet, there's no fill in the blanks because I don't have any points. And that's not because I wasn't preparing. I had two or three different outlines, and the Lord kept leading me away from every single one of them because I guess they weren't very good. But what we'll see is two very simple things. First, I want us to look at two examples in Scripture that we have of Jesus and the type of patience that he displayed in his life. And then I want us to look at one passage that tells us why we can have patience and how we are to live with patience in this life, following the example that Jesus gave us. We see uh, there's so many examples that you could pull in Scripture. I, I pulled many. When you look at Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, you see Satan tempting him three times to take a shortcut and saying, hey, I know you're doing this, but if you just bow down right now and worship me, then I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. You don't have to die. You don't have to go through all this suffering to get the kingdoms and to win the kingdom, to win the world back to yourself. But Jesus was not, first of all, he knew it was a lie. He knew it was a trick. 
But even then, he was not willing to entertain a shortcut outside of the will of God for what God had ordained for him in this life. The path that God had set forward and the ministry to which Jesus was called, he was not willing to shortcut it, but he was willing to long suffer through it. But one great example I, I see is this, Luke 23, 33, and 34. Jesus is on the cross. And as he's dying, it says, they arrived at the place called the skull and they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. How many times in scripture do we see Jesus telling his followers and telling people the same thing over and over and over again? And yet, even as he's dying on the cross, his mind and his heart is for forgiveness and for patience with them. God, give them another chance. Forgive them. They do not understand what they're doing. Jesus is the perfect example of patience with people. And that's usually where we, we struggle, where we have a hard time, patience with people. But Jesus, in the midst of his death, was able to extend patience and forgiveness and love to those who were killing him. You rewind just a, a few hours before this, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is praying to the Lord before his, his death and his betrayal, and he knew all this was about to happen. So he goes to his place of prayer, and the Bible says they came to a place named Gethsemane. He told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to go deep, to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little further. He fell to the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus was not afraid to, to make it known to the Father that he was not looking forward to what lay before him, the cup of wrath that he was about to take on. Jesus did not look at the cross and, and look at it with excitement and think, this is exactly what I want to do today. Now, he had his eyes on the joy set before him, and he knew that this was the path to get there. But Jesus had before him a very difficult task. And yes, it was dying on the cross, but but more than that, when Jesus died on the cross, every single sin that you've ever committed, that I've ever committed, every sin that we will ever commit was laid on Jesus in that moment. And talk about long-suffering and being willing to persevere and endure through a situation. The Bible says that every one of our sins was laid on Jesus, and in that moment, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. See, as Jesus is deeply despaired and, and in agony in the garden, it's not necessarily because of the, the physical agony and the pain in which he would endure. But it was the spiritual wrath of God that was going to be poured out on him. Something that now, because of his act, that you and I never have to experience. Anybody that is a follower of Jesus and receives Jesus into their lives and receives eternal life never has to experience the wrath of God. When Jesus comes back, like we sang about, when we go to see him, if we are a follower of Jesus, we will be made complete and whole with him. And Jesus looks on us as, and the Father looks on us, on us as complete and perfect, like one of his children, with no fault, because of the act that Jesus did. But Jesus was willing to persevere with patience, to step through the hard aspects of the cross and his death in order to bring us to life. He prayed in the cross, Lord, take, Father, take this cup from me. He 
He says, you can do anything. All things are possible with you. I would really like it if I didn't have to go through this. But this next prayer is the key to his long-suffering and his patience. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And as we endure in this life, as we have patience, as we long-suffer, we have to understand that patience is simply submitting to God's timing. We don't have to understand it. We don't have to even agree with it. But are we willing to accept what the Lord has for us at this time? Now, here's a good thing. Patience isn't forever. There is a day, according to Scripture, that we no longer have to have patience. And that is when we are with the Lord. When our faith is made sight, we don't have to wait anymore. There's nothing that we're going to have to, to long for. We will be with Christ and everything will be made complete. And as we look and as we close, as we look at what it means for us to suffer in this life, what it means for us to long suffer, to endure, to have patience, we look at James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Now, the, the book of James talks a lot about persecution and trial. He starts the book by saying, Consider it all joy, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and endurance, when it has its way, perfects your faith. And so a lot of the book has to do with embracing the trials and the, the persecution of this life. In James chapter 5, 1 through 6, he talks about being persecuted by people in this life and not to worry about it because in the end, they will just be all blown away, burned away. They'll have nothing left, but you will endure. And he says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient. In the midst of your trials, in the midst of your persecutions, and I don't know what your trial, what your persecution is tonight. For some of you, it's a situation with family. For some, it's with health. For some, it's with a job. I don't know what it is. Maybe for some of you, it's you're just a little frustrated that you're not closer to the Lord at this point in your life than you, you thought you would be. There's a lot of things that we could be going through. The question is, are we willing to endure what the Lord has for us? Are we willing to wait patiently? James says to, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. He's saying, keep your eyes on the price. Look at when we are going to be with the Lord. In this life, we will have trouble, we will have persecution, we will have hardship, but it's all going to be worth it when we are with the Lord. Paul would write another part of Scripture. He would say that in comparison to heaven, he would say that everything that we go through in this life is a momentary light affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that we have coming for us. And so as we look through this life, there's so many things. It's like, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to have to go through this trial. But the Lord is saying, keep your eyes on the prize. Because God, even though he's not going to tempt us, sometimes God allows us to be tempted. And he allows us to go through trials in order to refine us and to make us more into his image. You know, when we look at Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness, but the, the verse leading that, story, uh, that account says that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. It was the will of God for Jesus to go into the wilderness to fast and to be tempted by Satan in that, in that time. And there are times in our life, the Bible is very clear that God does not tempt us, but he does allow us to be tested. 
And he does that in order to make us more into the image of Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. And he gives us an example here. See how the farmer, he waits for the precious fruit of the earth. And he is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. The farmer would work the ground and he would prepare the soil and he would bury the seed. And then he had to wait. There's nothing he could do. Now today we can go turn on the faucet and add the water ourselves, and there's a lot that we can do. But for farmers in these days with all their crop, it wasn't a matter of turning on the water. They had to wait for the rain. They had to endure and wait for the precious fruit of the earth. Notice he calls it the precious fruit. That was the prize of the farmer. He was doing this work in faith, knowing that the rain would come and that the earth would produce its crop. He says, strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. So I want to encourage you with two very simple truths tonight. And you've heard both these truths and you read them right here. They come straight out of scripture. Whatever you're going through tonight, you can be patient because the Lord's is coming. The Lord is coming back. When we look at that and we think about the fact that one day we'll be with the Lord, everything that you're going through will be a momentary light affliction. But not only is the Lord coming back, the Bible says here, the Lord's coming is near. Now, it's easy for us to read that and say, yeah, Noah, but that was written 2,000 years ago. Are we still saying that we believe the Lord's coming is near? Now, for me, that can be difficult to read. Why would you say that? Why would you say it's near and then wait 2,000 years and still not come back? And maybe we're going to wait another 2,000 years, and maybe in the next five minutes before we're done with this message, the Lord is going to come back. We don't know when he's going to come back, and that's not for us. Dr. Rogers always said that when it came to the, to the return of the Lord, he was not on the planning committee, he's on the welcoming committee. And that's what we're to do. We are to look with expectation for that day. And that is what we are to do. When we go through trials of this world, when we experience hardship, we can look at that and then notice it. we're going to experience that. But then we lock our eyes right back on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. When it comes to the, the Lord's coming is near, somebody showed me an illustration many years ago that stuck with me. I think it might have been Dr. Rogers. It probably was because most things that I knew growing up good came from him. But he gave this illustration. I've never forgotten it. He says, all throughout time. So how can you say the Lord's coming is near, even though it's been 2,000 years? So if you look at the very beginning of time, and this is fitting because it looks like I'm in the Garden of Eden right now with this picture. So at the very beginning all of time started marching towards, and let's say that step right there, is the return of Christ. All of history, all of time has been marching towards that. And so as Adam and Eve are created in the garden, and as Moses and the Israelites are in Egypt, and, and they come out, and as Abraham is told that he's going to be the father of, of many, and all the nations of the world will be blessed, and King David is told that, that there will one day be a, a king that will reign on his throne, rule on his throne forever. And you look at Israel and all these things and all these constant things happening and every step of history is walking towards the return of Christ. And when we got to the, to the New Testament and we see the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the, ultimately the death and the burial of Jesus, when Jesus leaves the earth, Dr. Rogers said that at that moment, time kept moving, but it started moving, it turned, and it started walking right next to the line. It's walking on the line. You see, there's nothing in this world that needs to happen for Jesus to come back tonight. He could come back, like I said, before I finish this next sentence. 
And time has, has been marching towards this line and towards this return of Christ. And ever since then, we're walking on that line. And every step we take, we continue to walk. But all it takes is one step to the left, and the return of Christ is here. So while the return of Christ may not happen right now, may not happen today, may not happen in the next 500 years, we can know that it is near. It is always one step away, one breath away. And because of that, we can know that we can endure, we can long suffer, we can have patience in this life. Now, I want to remind you what the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay in terms of his return, but he's being patient with us not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So as we look for 2,000 years of the Lord's return being near and he's, we're walking along this line in history, what has prevented him from taking that step and coming back? It's patience and it's love for each one of us. I know we all have people in our lives that, that, they, that if the Lord were to come back right now, they do not know him, they would not go with him. The fact that Jesus has not come back is patience for that person. And it gives us time to pray and to share the gospel and to seek to win people to faith in Jesus Christ. The question is, how are we spending our time? Are we spending it just complaining all the time and wondering about how long we're going to have to deal with this problem or that problem? Or are we walking with the Lord, keeping our eyes on Jesus allowing him to build that fruit, produce that fruit of patience in our lives. And patiently through suffering, patiently through hardship, patiently through trial, through temptation, through whatever you're going through, are you allowing the Lord to make you more into his image and to use you to win people to Jesus Christ in this life? We sang tonight all, a lot of songs about the second coming. And I talked to, to Sam about that and, and we had talked through singing those songs. Because we need to remind ourselves that the Lord is coming back and his coming is near. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, this fruit of the spirit of patience and Lord, how you so perfectly displayed it. And Lord, I know in my own life, I so often do not display that fruit properly. properly. Lord, so often I am wanting things that aren't mine to have right now. I'm wanting to short-circuit what you've done and what you're doing in my life. But Lord, I pray that you will help me learn to keep my eyes on Jesus as I endure in the race of life that you've set before me. Lord, that I would abide in Christ and that he would bear the fruit of patience within me. Lord, we do thank you that your coming is near, but Lord, we do also pray that it would be soon. Lord, we ask that you would come, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we know that a day is coming where we will no longer have to endure the long-suffering, the troubles, the endurance, the hardship of this world. But until then, Lord, we trust you, and we know that you have placed this before us, and we want to take every step of this life in faith following you the way that you called us to do. Help us this week to Show that fruit, produce that fruit of patience, Lord, that you would produce the fruit, that we would abide in you, and that you would help us to be patient, not just in the drive through not just with kids and grandkids and situations and people and spouses, Lord. Give us that patience, but even deeper, Lord, give us a patience in life 
and allow us to see what you are doing in our lives and keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.